This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, you're listening to the Times Red Box Politics Podcast. I'm Patrick Maguire, still in for Matt Chorley. We've got a cracking podcast for you today. It's a Wednesday, the Commons is back, so we're bringing you PMQs on Pat. We pause the action and let you know what it all really means. I'm joined today by Tim Shipman and Lara Spirit. But first, time for the Economist panel with Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson. The Columnists with Alibert, Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton on Times Radio. Yes, Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton join me. Hi, Alice. Morning. Robert, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Patrick. Very You're good. Up? I'm very right? well. Cool. Good to be with you. You too. Um, any uh, any any guests on t- on today's guest here? I'll, I'll go with you. Know, Alice has got. A, a yeah, good we one. thought Ken Baker maybe was he? Too Ken old? Baker. Oh, we haven't got the no, 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 no yet. No, we've got the no, no, no. You can't um, get that. I, th- I thought we'd no. see this. There we go. <laughs> there we go. She got there in the end. Uh, I'm afraid it's not Ken Baker. Is Ken Baker's daughter a politician? I think That's she's I a councillor at KNC. Ah, very good. Well, there you go. That shows how. Ken Baker's from South, but well, he was evacuated to South during the war. One of the very few facts that you and don't he would know. Be, uh, exactly. He would be around about 82. Actually, he might be a bit older than that. I think he's a bit older than 82, yeah. 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 I think he was older than my... He went to the same grammar school as my granddad. Right. There before he, my granddad. he was in that cohort, that whole Cambridge lot, wasn't he? With yeah, exactly. Fowler and, the uh, mafia. Gummer Cambridge and, mafia. Yeah. Anyway, that's quite enough about Ken Baker. I yes. could talk about Ken Baker all day. Instead, <laughs> let's talk about bankers' bonuses. If uh, not, if, if, yeah. if, if you know, one letter, but one letter, one letter apart. Uh, good news for bankers this week. Uh, the one of the few legacies of trussism, the financial regulators are going to confirm that the cap on bankers' bonuses will be scrapped. As Quasi Quarteng mm-hmm. promised this time last year in his mini budget, all part of Jeremy Hunt's post Brexit bid to boost the attractiveness of the City of London. Uh, Alice, good idea? It's frustrating because actually I don't want mm. them to do it and mm. I can't stand the idea of them getting bonuses. And Robert and I don't really get bonuses unless he's not telling me. Um, but, oh, no, absolutely not, no. But no. Um, I think the problem is that the City of London needs to be competitive and I think that's what they're saying. And so, although I'm very loath to say it, and I also think that the super rich are kind of pulling away from the rest of the country, uh, the idea of them getting vast bonuses is irritating. It mm. may be necessary if London's to remain competitive. What do you think? I'm afraid I'm going to agree, agree with Alice. I, I come to work every morning through the City of London. And I know, that, I mean, the politics of this are horrible. Uh, the government, I suspect, I mean, you say Jeremy Hunt, but it's actually the regulator who's done this. Mm. I'm not sure that the government would consider this brilliant timing any more than Kwasi Kwartan going to his champagne reception with hedge funders after he wanted to do it. It was brilliant timing. But the uh, much as we might not like it, uh, the City of London has to thrive. It's a, it's a huge uh, export, I suppose, for Britain. And if I think there has been some evidence as well, I mean, that always used to be the, the, there was just you always be a bit skeptical about oh, bankers are immediately going to decamp to Zurich or whatever. But there has been some evidence that New, New York, in particular, I think, and possibly Hong Kong as well, has benefited. Uh, but, I mean, because it's an EU-wide thing uh, from these from the cap, and it's and also their basic salaries have just gone up anyway. So it's not as if bankers have been impoverished by, mm. by, by not having this cap. In some ways they've done better, cap. haven't they? they in some ways they've done better. Yeah, because the, the firms just raised their mm. base salaries. 
Uh, I mean, there, there, there was a very good reason for this cap being put in place, which was to avoid the kind of absurd risk-taking that led to the 2008 crash. Uh, and obviously that has to be uh, monitored so that doesn't happen again. But uh, I guess, I mean, it's not, I may be an unpopular view, but I, I, I want, you know, if this, if, 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 it, if, if this is the price of the City of London as an industry thriving, then so be it. Politics of this are tricky, <laughs> though, as Robert says, Alice. I think it's very tricky because at the moment we've still got the cost of living crisis. There is this bizarre anomaly where a few of people at the very top are making a lot more money and they particularly mm. did during the pandemic and after the pandemic. And that leaves a really sour taste because you've now got a small cohort of people who are, well, one in ten flights is now on a private jet who are you know, having four or five holidays a year. They may decide they want to rewild their estate, but at the same time they're jetting around um, mm. on holidays to... Uh, hot places and um, unless you're Robert and you like winter uh, you don't really want that so I think it is difficult and I also think it's tied in with Liz Truss and I don't think that Rishi Sunak wants to have anything to do with Liz Truss anymore and It's interesting as well, now I think about it it's quite striking that we're not hearing anything from the Labour Party saying this is a disgrace, No, I thought Jamie we were, Hunt yeah. must U-turn, which, I, which shows how want, the debate has, yes it's politically tricky but the yeah, debate has sort but, of shifted but maybe it's not that tricky Yeah, well it's not tricky yeah. for a Labour Party that wants to sort of extend the hand of friendship to no, the city No, I mean we'd hope we might have moved on from the Peter Mandelson saying he was what intensely relaxed about people becoming filthy rich or something uh, it, Well if Peter was here, as yeah. he will be by the way <laughs> yes, listeners, saw, every Tuesday from yeah. the 31st of October I saw Peter the other night at Matt Chorley's book launch and uh, I meant to take him up on that but he would have had some very suave reply, I'm he, sure. No, but he, you know, he would... Does he regret he, it? If, no, if he were here, mm. he'd say, yes, I said that, but the mm. sentence finished as long as they pay their taxes. Yeah. Did this apply to hedge funders anyway, uh, this, this cap? Because we say bankers, that covers a multitude of sins. I don't know whether that... Did it, were hedge fund bonuses ever capped? That's a very good question, yeah, to which I don't, I don't know the answer. Yeah, because these people on the private jets... I mean, we say bankers as if every banker... I mean, it's just a job. It's not... It's not. We we don't want to. Do, I don't in favour of demonising people. Just with with kind of, he's a banker, therefore he must be a, you know, very good one <laughs> one consonant change. Uh, so maybe they're, I don't know. I mean, and there's a whole lot of other people who work in banks who are perfect on perfectly normal salaries. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And. Uh, maybe that deserve a bonus. The problem is, though, about it is it's a bit like tipping, isn't it? That you're never quite sure what anyone else is getting or how much you should yeah. be getting. And I think it's quite a sort of uneasy thing, a bonus, that you look round and it's, it's meant to be with how well you're doing, but yeah. does it also then mean how much you're sucking up to your bosses? Quite, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I like the idea, in principle, of, of pay being kind of productivity-related. I think there should be more of that. So... Sort of pay, you know, you get a premium for how many columns you file. Well, exactly, because I do a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, me and Alice and I, Alice and I, yeah, we're we're, we're in a prime. We're absolutely churning it out. But you don't know if it's quality or quantity, do you? Yeah, it's very good. That's a very good point. Hopefully, we're both. Well, no, no. Look, I mean, look, I'm a, I'm not a particularly discerning reader, but you know, I always enjoy your pieces. Yeah, uh, and, well, clearly, he as said the, politely. As the, well, no, no. Clearly, as the, uh, the powers that be do too, because there's so many of them. Yeah, it's just we're not remunerated for it in uh, terms of both. Well, we are, but not in terms <laughs> not in terms of extra. I mean, uh, you never you do, you don't get bonuses. No. No, not really. No, no, and also, no. we, we'd, I don't really get expenses. I don't do that anymore. It's just so complicated. Yeah. I think that's what you'll find is a lot of people find that too complicated. But on the other hand, you're, inter you know, you're interviewing amazing people. You know, David yeah. Whitworth today was having the most expensive steak in Britain. I, I mean, there are fantastic some perks yeah. to this job. Sort of 750 quid Japanese steak. Fantastic. Um, was it nice? He looked like he enjoyed it. Um, I'll have to ask Damien about that. He's, 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 he's very polite, isn't he, Damien? So you know, oh, if he yeah. hated it. He wouldn't. He wouldn't say. <laughs> Wonderfully well mannered chap. Ah, rarer, rarer than ever these days, yeah. Robert. Rarer than ever. Um, well, look, I think you know uh, Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson in favour of bankers' bonuses. Yeah, you see, uh, that's that's too, yeah. I knew that. Looking would be, bad, you know, isn't it? String, yeah. string them up, guys. String them up. Uh, you know where they work. Uh, right. Uh, speaking <laughs> of Alice Thompson, you've written a very good column in today's Times. Uh, in Iceland, the Prime Minister has joined tens of thousands of women on strike as part of the country's annual Women's Day Off, which aims to raise awareness about pay discrimination and gender-based violence. Uh, this was the scene in Reykjavik yesterday. Alice, you've been writing about this this morning. Even in Iceland, though, 
the gender pay gap and lack of equality in domestic tasks persists. You say equality between the sexes has to start at home. Well, that's the problem because actually Iceland has the best record for gender equality in the world and has done for the last 14 years. But if the Prime Minister's going on strike, which is actually rather a bizarre idea because the Prime Minister surely should be able to do something about it, it shows that it's not a problem that can be solved by um, politicians or by laws or rules. It's actually the men. And what she's saying is men need to do more at home and they need to do uh, pull more of their weight uh, on the caring front and the cooking front and the cleaning front. Uh, and she's right, the statistics show that men still uh, do far less. In fact, women do 60% more than men on average at home in Britain. Uh, mm. uh, well, you know, as a regular reader of uh, Beta Mail in the Times, <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. you, you, you do a fair amount around that. I do, but you? I think probably that statistic, if, if I'm honest, would probably apply in our house. Really? Uh, yeah. And I think uh, uh, even if you're kind of approaching equality, which 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 we're probably not in my house... But even if you are, that I think that what a lot of women say is it's kind of it's kind of on them to ensure to ensure that the that these tasks happen. There's an expectation that even if the man does a lot, the woman is the person who's kind of encouraging him to do that. So it's almost as if he's sort of helping her because the cultural norm is still it's her it's her kind of. Well, it's not when men say yeah. they're babysitting their own kids. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. it's there. It's the the responsibility form falls to the woman. And uh, even if a man is a kind of, oh, you know, he's amazing, he does this, that and the other, he cooks, he, but it's still a sort of, uh, that's kind of unusual. And whereas the woman is, is, the norm is for her to be keeping the whole show on the road. Claudia Golden's the most interesting on this because she's just won the Nobel Prize for economics. Mm. But she has won it on, on you know, women at work and... Uh, the pay gap deferential and also how much women have to do at home and her husband is exactly the same as her they're both Harvard professors of economics so you can see uh, what's going on at home and she says that she feels that that was the main difference now it used to be that women had different you know they were in different professions and that they had a different sort of you know childhoods and they had different expectations and education whereas now it's not that now it's about at home they're doing mm. more of the childcare and they're doing more of looking after the family there was a, the, I think the great line in Alice's column, which I love, was that when this last happened in Iceland in 1975, men, it's called, men, men refer to it as the Long yeah. Friday, and they still, <laughs> and they still do. I mean, and that's what, nearly 50 years yeah. ago. And it's still like a kind of uh, weight on the, on the kind of psychology of the Icelandic male. There's one day when they work, when, when women... Uh, I'd quite like it if we did it here, to be honest. Yeah. I think it'd be quite interesting to see what happened if none of the women came into work and none of the yeah. women did anything. I just don't know I, if we I think the economy would, would genuinely collapse. <laughs> and, you know, many houses would burn down. And, and I think what my wife would say, and I would agree with her, is that a lot of male, in, in as much as men are kind of stepping up, a lot of it is kind of very performative, isn't it? You know, that like you, you do a big Sunday lunch or you do... A Big cook breakfast, or, or, or it, it's a big sort of uh, sort of kind the of marquee, that proves the rule, a kind yeah. of marquee thing, you know, like, and then you want a whole load of praise for it. Whereas there's the, there's a lot of sort of the, the, boring drudgery. Correct. Do you seek praise when you rustle? Yeah, I up seek her? praise for everything. <laughs> I'll be seeking some praise for my performance. Your, 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 your family are merely the audience in the uh, in the one man play that is Robert Johnson. You know, that's that's pushing it. I mean, that's pushing it. I mean, I have matured slightly. I'm going to be sixty next year. I hope I'm not. I'm not. I'm not quite that. Yeah, but you need a big party, and that'll be organised by his wife. Yeah, a surprise. That's true. Or are you, are you too vain for a surprise? Uh, Actually, you, I couldn't. No, I couldn't do a surprise. No, we might have a joint one because we're both sixty next year. So. Ah, yeah. Oh yeah, direct Hull contemporaries, right? We were at school together. Yeah. yeah. I've read your back catalogue. Yeah, yeah, no, no, right. no, no, I'm, I'm flattered, Patrick. Um, do you, uh, you know, you have a house that's split directly 50-50 gender-wise, right? There's two men, two How women. Do you mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. Would you say it's 50-50 in terms of the no, domestic uh, labour? No, no, my son does more. Really? Yeah. I mean, he's might... a cook, isn't he? So yeah, he he's helps. a cook and he's a, and, well, he's, he was a, he trained as a cook and now he works in the, he's a carer, he's a, a mental health nurse. Uh, and he's, he's also very meticulous and, uh, Almost a bit. I kind of. He wouldn't mind me saying that he's a little bit OCD about tidiness and so on. So he does actually. Where my daughter's much more slapdash. So maybe Sam's contribution kind of aggregated with mine. <laughs> it's lifting up the average. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not Rachel, sure about that in my family. Yeah. Rachel does. I mean, Rachel does a, a, a share. He does more. Uh, how's what's the split in your house like? Alice? I've got three sons and one daughter. But actually, I'd say. Probably the daughter's not the tidiest. Interesting. Um, but I, and yeah, my husband does quite a bit. I mean, it's the same. We met at university, same age. But I would say um, he probably does a bit more walking the dog, 
bit more yeah. bins as he's supposed to. Oh, but, bins, yeah, of course. But um, yeah, he man- likes that kind of stuff, yeah. It's the sort of manly stuff. Well, and yeah, he does do holidays. To Theresa May's boy jobs and exactly, girl jobs. Exactly, boy jobs and girl jobs. I can't think of a girl job that he particularly does. He used to, you know, he... he he does not. He's not a particular girl job person. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I do. I do bins, gutters, and you know, cat litter. I mean, that's absolutely yeah. core core tasks. That's he fair. cooks actually. He's yeah. a really good cook. I, and I'm yeah, not. I didn't do much cooking. I think women have just got to stop doing some of it. So actually, in Iceland, they ran out of sausages fifty years ago because the only thing the men knew how to cook was sausages for their kids. <laughs> oh, that sounds. I've been to Iceland. Lovely place. Me too. It's great, great isn't it? Fab- fabulous and lovely people. There are lots of subjects in the news agenda you don't want to wade into at the moment, but the Crampton Households Division yeah. of Labour is chief yeah. among them. So we'll leave that one there. Uh, winter's approaching, sadly, or happily if you're into that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Gloomy days and longer nights. It's no wonder you can feel a little down. But experts think they've found the answer to the winter blues, and it involves having a quiet word with the season itself. Robert, you've been doing this. You've been asking winter outside for a chat, mano el mano. What's, yeah. what's going on? They asked me, I came to work yesterday and they said you've got to write a letter to Winter for your column in T2, published this morning. I didn't know what they were talking I thought they wanted me to write to Henry Winter, our, our esteemed chief football correspondent. I thought, that's weird. I'll just go and ring him up or something. Anyway, uh, I guess you, you have to put your thoughts down. Uh, and I suppose the idea is that you, you kind of marshal your, your objections and that helps you overcome them better. It was easy for me to do because I actually, quite, I actually like Winter. So I, uh, my letter was saying you know, Winter, you're not such a bad guy. And I think he is, a, he is a guy, isn't he, Winter? I think we assume that. When spring, I think, is a, is a woman. Whereas what about winter, summer? Summer's also Female, a woman. I think, yeah. yeah, also a woman, yeah. Awesome. I think that's Mr and Mrs. I think that's both. Interesting. Sort of solid, grown-up, mature couple. Winter's a grumpy old man, though. And so I wrote to him to kind of say, I like you. You're mis- much misunderstood. A bit like kind of Shrek, you know, get to, get to know... <laughs> a bit like Robert. <laughs> yes, get to know the nasty ogre and he's all right, really. And anyway, the payoff was that Winter replied and told me to shut up and uh, he didn't like... Reverting to type. Didn't well, like, yeah. Well, Professor Hayden Lorimer from the University of Edinburgh is one of the people behind this project and joins us now. Um, do you think Robert has uh, summarised your project uh, fairly there, Hayden? Uh, to a degree, um, that means I, no. think, <laughs> I think that what Robert did was to pick up on one of the uh, little creative exercises that we were inviting participants in our Wintering Well programme to engage with. Um, our Wintering Well programme was designed for people who experience seasonal affective disorder. Um, that's a condition which has symptoms like lowered mood, um, reduced energy levels, um, feeling less sociable, and, and generally finding everyday life difficult. And that's a, 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 a situation which is quite distinctive and prompted by people's emotional and, and psychological relationship with sunlight. Mm. When there is a lack of sunlight, these are symptoms that people feel quite intensely. And uh, um, um, sort of what, what does the letter What's the, what does the letter do? Well, the letter was one of a number of different exercises that we invited our participants to, to engage with. So these are simple and creative ways of trying to work with people's relationship with winter and the relationship with lowered light. If you're writing a letter to a season that you find difficult, then it can be a bit of a pressure release. Mm. It's an opportunity, of course, to, to lay bare some of your feelings but perhaps also to feel a bit better about your relationship with the season in having gotten those feelings out onto the page. I think the other important thing about this exercise was that for people who experience sad, then their voice, their experience, their choice of language in writing a letter actually became a really important tool for them when it when 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 they started to spend time together thinking about how they might feel better about winter time. Alice, what would you put in your letter? Yeah, I'm not a massive winter fan. I kind of like it till Christmas and then it's that sort of that January, sort of January, February, February time. Period. And I can't so do that, not drinking, you know, not you know, trying to behave. I think that's quite difficult. No, so de- I December, would, um, I'm a great fan of December, but Yeah, otherwise. I think probably I'd say it's the uh, just do a bit of shopping, that's what you like. It's those big coats and the jumpers. Uh the problem is no one's got much cash this year, but that's how you get over it, isn't it? It's that 
uh, you buy enough warm clothes, uh, particularly now no one's got the central heating on, uh, and hope that that gets mm. you through. Is that is that something you picked up, Hayden? Sort of people having, you know, positive feelings towards parts of winter, towards Christmas, but otherwise being pretty down on the whole season. I think, of course, um, people might have um, little windows where, um, if they're suffering from SAD, where um, seasonality, um, some of the customs associated with a festive season can offer a little bit of a break or, or put a positive thing, put a, things in a positive light. But we need to remember that for people who are suffering from SAD, um, this is actually a, a really um, deep and existential um, situation they face. Um, it is a mental health issue mm. and so I think our project was really about creating resources that can help people through that really difficult time of year that they experience on an annual basis. Well Hayden Lorimer from the University of Edinburgh, thanks very much for joining us to talk us through the Dear Winter project. Robert Crampton wrote about that in yesterday's Times. Uh, you can still read his letter to Winter. That was Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson. You can read Robert and Alice in the Times every week, remember. Just go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box and get yourself a digital subscription. And you can read Robert and Alice whenever you like. That's if Robert's family don't kill him for revealing their domestic secrets. Up next, it's PMQ's Unpacked. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Times Red Box Politics Podcast. Now it's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Patrick Maguire. And Tim Shipman. <sighs> Tim Shipman joins me in the studio now. Nice to see you, Tim. And How are you, you, Patrick? I'm very well, yeah. It's um, funny PMQ's this week, isn't it? Well, not funny. Uh, the news is anything but funny. It's a tricky one for both leaders to judge, given the events in the Middle East overshadowing everything. That's right. And last week it was sort of, it was while it was sort of emotional and difficult at one level, it was kind of easy politically. They both just needed to sound grave and serious and statesmanlike. You've got a bit of politics creeping in now. Um, particularly in Labour. Particularly in Labour. And, you know, that makes it more... Unco- it, it would be quite difficult for Starmer to go through PMQs without talking about the Middle East, but he arguably now has more trouble on it than, than Sunak does because he's got um, a bunch of his own MPs kicking off uh, in the background. And, um, you know, as as we heard on the news, you know, councillors resigning and, and um, you know, there are still Labour MPs with... Um, tweets up accusing Israel of uh, attacking the hospital last week, um, uh, which most you know Western intelligence agencies say is not what happened. And Starmer has tried to hold a sort of pretty supportive line on Israel, and that you know is always going to cause trouble um, in Labour ranks. Um, so it would be odd if he didn't do some of that, but he's got to tread carefully. And then you know. <laughs> We're still waiting for the first proper ding-dong since um, the, the conference recess on the actual sort of raw politics of, of the situation. And the fact that it's Rishi Sunak's kind of anniversary as Prime Minister gives an opportunity, I would have thought, to split um, uh, this into a game in two halves where we do some uh, Middle East and then we do some raw politics. Yeah, um, I was speaking to senior Labour people yesterday who are very keen to land, as you say, those sorts of messages about Rishi Sunak's achievements or lack thereof in his first year. I do wonder whether the tensions rising overnight in the Labour ranks and the fact that Starmer is going to go straight from this session of PMQs to a meeting with his Muslim MPs 
is maybe going to spook him, make him stay his hand. You do wonder whether he... Or alternatively, he could use this as a you know a testing ground for a new, slightly more nuanced message on the conflict. Who knows? Uh, well, I mean, let's see. Or he lays out a pretty defiant position and then goes and defends his meeting. Um, it's going to be um, it's going to be a tricky time for him. Um, and how tricky do you think it could be for him? Well, I mean, I saw Starmer and some of his senior aides a week or so ago, and you could see even sort of quite early on in this process that they were concerned, um, and there was lots of muttering about this is more difficult for the left than for the right. Um, the right can reflexively support Israel for the most part and feel good about it. Um, Starmer kind of knows that because of the history with Jeremy Corbyn, he has to, you know, have at the very worst a balanced position. And mm. frankly, when Hamas are going in and killing children, it's quite difficult uh, not to say that uh, give Israel a reasonable amount of leeway um, in responding to Hamas. Um, but, you know, the, the reflexive position of his MPs and a lot of his activists is that they're pro-Palestinian and they think um, that Israel is an occupying power um, and that... Um, you know, this is something that it's one of those things where emotions run high and it's sort of the problems are bigger than they kind of really are because um, uh, because everything gets very het up at moments like this. Um, you know, this is a guy who spent a lot of time calming everything down, looking professional, getting better at the job, better at PMQs. They can see victory sort of just over the horizon. They can taste it. Um, and then all of a sudden, Richard and now Morgan and this, John McDonnell are getting up from the back along And, and it, you know, what do the Tories want to do in that election campaign? They want to say, this Starmer bloke sounds really boring, but really he's secretly a bit more of a lefty than he likes to make out. And all those people behind him, the second he gets in, will have the whip hand, um, particularly if it's a small majority. Um, you know, as you say... Um, Bergen, McDonnell, you know, the sort of, uh, the old Labour hard left will be popping up and, uh, you know, will be able to cause him difficulties and that will potentially cause the country difficulties. And, you know, Starmer knows that, um, the same as you and I do. Um, and so, you know, he has to try and calibrate a conversation with his own party, but also with the country at the same time and show that, you know, he's uh, this kind of statesman-like figure that he, that he wants to make out. Well, let's see how he calibrates it now. Keir Starmer asking his first question of Rishi Sunak. We're live, PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio on YouTube. Hello to all of you watching there. Let's take Keir Starmer's first question. Can I join the Prime Minister in his comments about all those affected by these storms? Can I start by welcoming the new member for Mid-Bedfordshire? The first Labour MP ever to represent those beautiful towns and villages. He defied the odds, history and, of course, the fantasy Lib Dem bar charts. Can I also welcome the new member for Tamworth? She will be a powerful representative for her constituents. Is the Prime Minister as relieved as I am that those constituents are not burdened with his defeated candidate who told them, don't worry Mr Speaker, I'm going to sanitise this, to F off if they're struggling with the cost of living? Well, Mr Speaker, I'm proud of what this government is doing to support the most vulnerable over the past year. But, uh, Mr Speaker, can I, can I in fact join him in welcoming the new members to their places? After all, I suspect the new member for mid-beds may actually support me a little bit more than the last one. <laughs> I did, notice, I did notice that the new member said that they will be opposing new housing in their local area, while the new, while the new member for Tamworth claimed that they will protect green spaces. I would urge them to have a word with their leader, because that's not exactly his position, Mr Speaker, although with his track record of U-turns, who knows what his housing policy will be next week. So, Rishi Sunat there and Keir Starmer... Remarkably chipper, given the circumstances and the politics of their own parties. Um, Keir Starmer, a real confidence player in situations like these, delighted to 
welcome Alistair Stratton and Sarah Edwards sat just behind him on the second row. There you go. That's uh, why they pay you the big bucks. You know their names already. <laughs> <laughs> it's all it's all up there, Tim. It's all up there. They were sat just behind him there. Uh, you know, a couple of cracks at Nadine Dorries and the Liberal Democrats. Rishi Sunak. Uh, Seen the funny side there remarkably. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, they've decided to do some politics and I I guess um, that will probably entertain us more. Um, And, you know, uh, interesting bits there from Starmer's question, you know, talking about the beautiful villages, that says, I'm a bloke who's been there, I help win these seats as well. Um, uh, Having a pop at the Lib Dems, not necessary, but uh, always entertaining for most people on both sides of the house. And... You know, there was a big dogfight there, as we know, um, about who was really in second place and who Mm. was the real challenger. And in some of the kind of marginal seats around the country, Labour have now kind of put down a bit of a marker and said, back off. You go go and fight those seats, Lib Dems, where you're in a clear second place against the Conservatives and you you go with our good wishes. But if you come and muck about in three-way marginals, um, we're going to beat you and we're going to have more resources. Um, And so that, you know, for, for people who like to mutter about progressive alliances and and all that kind of thing, you know. I think it was an interesting moment um, that by election where you know we saw um, Labour not you know sort of back off and and leave the Lib Dems to, to have a crack at something just because they were insisting on it. Um, and they've um, you know uh, might is right in this situation as far as the Labour Party is concerned. Um, but yeah, I mean you know a, a, a good joke from from Sunak about you know Doris not backing him um, and. Um, uh, yeah, the other, th- the only other thing that was notable so far, I think, um, it, there's no Suella Braverman as we often see these days. Next to Sunak, the the position of nodding donkey has today been taken by Jeremy Hunt, who has got a very good deep nod going on, <laughs> uh, uh, gravely nodding at everything. I think the they call that says. in journalese, Tim, a bold show of unity. After all those briefings over the weekend, that must that be Rishi Sunak was gearing up to sack his chancellor before we take Keir Starmer's second question I think notable there was a bit of a sting in the tail of Rishi Sunak's answer there where he noted that both uh, the successful candidate in Midbeds and in Tamworth had opposed local housing developments which maybe there's a bit of grit in the oyster for Keir Starmer there if he wins a majority made up of rural and semi-rural seats he wins in places he's never won before you might have MPs who say, well, hold on, this whole thing about bulldozing the green belt, as Labour have promised to do, we're not necessarily keener on that than the Tory MPs who scuppered Boris Johnson's planning reform. I think Keir Starmer would love to have that problem, wouldn't he? <laughs> if Keir Starmer starts taking these kind of seats in a general election, um, then um, he'll have a majority so large that he won't need really exactly. to worry about uh, rebellion. Uh, right, let's take Keir Starmer's second question now. So much for being the change candidate, he can't even distance himself from those appalling comments. But but I do have to ask him, I do have to ask him, where on earth does the Prime Minister think his candidate got the idea in the first place that throwing expletives at struggling families was his government's official position? Prime Minister! Mr Mr. Speaker, let's just look at the record of what this government is doing to help those people paying for around half of a typical family's energy bill over the last year, support worth over £1,500, for the most vulnerable in our society receiving £900 in direct cost of living support, record increases in the national living wage, record increases in welfare and this winter, Mr Speaker, pensioners to receive an extra two or £300 alongside their winter fuel payment to help them through what we know is a tough time. All of that, Mr Speaker, significant support funded by this government, all of that would be put at risk by Reg- Labour's reckless plans to borrow £28 billion a year. We're getting all the lines that Rishi Sunak will use in an uh, election campaign here. You're going to bulldoze the green belt, £28 billion in borrowing, that's one for... Ed Miliband, but it's slightly curious, Tim Shipman, that Keir Starmer devoted two questions so far to the words of a now defeated and already forgotten by-election candidate in Tamworth. Yeah, and the second question—I mean, the first one I thought worked fine. The second one was was odd because he didn't put um, Sunak on the spot about anything really specific. Um, I mean, maybe it will, we'll hear what the payoff is. Uh, 
coming in question three. But um, yeah, as you say, a bloke no one's ever heard of who is no long is not going to be in the House of Commons um, uh, making some random stray comment. Um, it's not as if the Chancellor of the Exchequer has been caught on a on a tape <laughs> talking to Tory donors in those terms. Um, no, I'm sure. Well, I'm sure Labour's attack unit are saving that one for the election. Well, campaign. if they have such an item, they would be well advised to do so. Um, but yeah, um, that just gave Sunak the chance to trot out. You know his message about you know we have actually been helping people, um, and um, so far he seems uh, pretty comfortable today. Yeah, it's interesting. Terry B on YouTube, where remember if you're listening, you can watch all of this action live. See Tim and I, although don't let that put you off. Uh, pausing the action and analysing. Oh, it's a much more attractive uh, combo than when Chorley's here, isn't it? Let's I, be honest. I, I am too uh, modest and uh, deferential to Matt to dissent him or uh, to confirm or deny. Um, Terry B says, "Move on, Starmer. We all know about the F word gaff. That's Andrew Cooper, the vanquished Tory candidate in Tamworth, who said uh, people should f off if they uh, couldn't afford to feed their families, or words to that effect." Let's see where Keir Starmer takes this one and if he's still going to be banging on about that Facebook post with his third question to Rishi Sunak. He keeps boasting about how great things are. The voters keep telling him he's got it wrong. But I can see why the Tamworth candidate thought he was just following government lines. Annalisa and her two children lived in their home for eight years. In May they were kicked out with a no-fault eviction notice. Despite his government's pledge to scrap no-fault evictions, this week the Prime Minister crumbled to the landlords on his own back benches and killed the policy. What message, other than the message delivered by his candidate in Tamworth, could Annalisa possibly take from that? Prime Minister Speaker, we've taken significant action to help renters like Annalise and others. We've capped holding deposits at one week. We've protected tenants from rip-off tenancy fees, delivered almost half a million affordable homes for rent and halved the number of percentage of substandard homes in the private rented sector and strengthened local authority enforcement powers because this government is delivering for renters. But we are also, Mr Speaker, trying to ensure the new generation can buy their own home. So perhaps he can explain to Annalisa and thousands of millions of others why when we brought forward plans to unlock 100,000 new homes, he stood in the way of that. Tim Shipman, you suggested that we might hear about no-fault evictions in the Renters' Reform Bill. Not sure I was expecting to hear about it from Keir Starmer, though. Uh, No, I mean... (sighs) What can you say? I mean, this is sort of question three. I mean, we knew he was building up to try and make some kind of uh, uh, logical leap. I think it was a pretty tortuous uh, leap Mm. uh, into this terrain. Um, I mean, leaders of the opposition love to fall back on uh, the examples of real members of the public. but um, The Jeremy Corbyn tactic, of course. uh, Absolutely. Um, But I'm not sure we're quite there, are we? Um, we, We're losing our way a bit here. Um, Also, I think what this is lacking is any sense of... We're banging on about the Tamworth by-election here. But there's no sense that this is Rishi Sunak's first anniversary. There's no sense that, you know, no. Keir Starmer could be making Not a very yet. powerful... Well, I mean, it may be, question six, you know, yeah. if he's doing six questions on this, that's, you would presume, is what he's building up to. Um, but um, at the moment, um, you know, it began quite well and the second question was sort of a bit meh and we're now really losing our way, I think. Um, I mean, Labour has liked to talk about housing quite a bit over the last few months, Um and they think, uh, you know, renters are their market. The Tories have tried to do some stuff to kind of respond to that. Um, uh, but it doesn't feel like we're sort of in the realms of great peril here. No, no, it doesn't. Rishi Sunak, remarkably confident in response to Well, anything that questions. gives him the chance to just list, I've done this, this, this and this. I've done and this, he's this, per- and this. he's perfectly happy. Here's my attack on the Labour Party. You know, I mean, he's across the detail. He knows how, how to respond. He doesn't need to flick open his book and read all the tabs. It's all in his head. Um, and the, the questions have so far not been pointed enough to elicit any kind of uh, reaction or really put him on the spot. Well, let's see if they improve. Dave Ellis on the YouTube channel. Remember, tune in. We're live on YouTube as well as live on Times Radio. It says Starmer definitely needs a better scriptwriter. Um, you know, that'll be... Uh, let's let's see if that one is heard within uh, the leader's office. Um, Are you know. offering yourself, Patrick? Oh, 
<laughs> I couldn't possibly comment. No, 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 no. I, I'm. I think you probably should on that. <laughs> uh, well, you know, on the basis of these six questions, let, but you know, as you say, Tim, they might improve. It's only half time. Let's take Keir Starmer's fourth question. Just to say, it's Prime Minister's questions, not opposition questions. Oh, well, I wondered if we were going to get that I'm, I'm, from I'm sorry. Prime Minister, it is Prime Minister's questions. I don't need you nodding against my decision. <laughs> well, I'm sure Annalise and her children, who've now been evicted, will take great comfort from that non-answer. Yeah. Emma and her teenage son saw their mortgage go up by more than a quarter. They may think this is funny. This is real life. After 16 years of dutifully paying their mortgage, for the first time she's having to choose between new shoes for her son and putting the heating on. All because his party crashed the economy, pushing mortgage rates to their highest levels in decades. He he says ignore all that. Ignore the fact that the guilty men and women responsible are standing again as his candidates and still setting his policy. Can he not see why Emma might think that his party is telling them exactly where to go? Mr Speaker, he he keeps talking about the mini-budget. I won't ask him a question, Mr Speaker. Well, I will just point out, he did actually support 95% of the things in that mini-budget, which I didn't, Mr Speaker. But again, he's had a whole whole summer to get on top of the details. He's still ignoring the fact that rising interest rates are a global challenge. They are at their highest level in America and Europe for more than 20 or 30 years. Mortgage rates have doubled in America, trebled in Europe. Now, what we do want to do to help mortgage holders is ensure that they can use the mortgage charter that we've agreed with the banks. And thanks to the steps that we've taken, someone with a £200,000 property with about £100,000 left on their mortgage could save over £350 a month and lock in a new deal six months before theirs ended and repossessions will be prohibited for 12 months from the first missed payment. He might have missed that that policy is twice as generous as Labour's. Rishi Sunak giving as good as he's getting here. Oh, I'm probably a bit better, I would say, to be honest. I mean, um, that was, um, again, it felt like quite a weak question that got a slightly stronger uh, reply. Um, And interesting there that in his conference speech, when Rishi Sunak wanted to sort of pivot against the Conservative Party, it was David Cameron he was kind of pushing against to the consternation and rage of Cameron and Osborne and all that crowd. He's been kind of a bit reluctant to sort of really push back on Liz Truss and the mini-budget, um, and you know, which most Conservatives behind the scenes, they'll say, Boris Johnson was a mess, and he, you know, but most of his problems were him, um, the way he was behaving, the stuff he was doing, and when he went, um, you know, there was a way of kind of moving on. The Liz Trust mini-budget and the, you know, the six-week disaster that that was for the Tories is what really kind of caused the polls to start to plummet and that that's what you know that was probably the last straw for a lot of voters um and he looks there like he's prepared to have start to sort of bash her a bit on it you know i didn't support not i you supported more of her budget than i did he's saying which um, is something we will have had the same conversations with labor strategists where they say what's the one you ask them what's the one thing you fear because it's difficult to sort of point at anything given the poll lead and they always consistently say we fear Rishi Sunak finally growing a backbone and saying Liz Truss was a disaster. Yeah. I am not Liz Truss. I am opposed to her values just as Keir Starmer is doing with and Jeremy Corbyn. And he's got Corbyn. a legitimate position to make that argument. He opposed her for the leadership. He said everything was going to be a disaster. Um, and, you know, it's hard to suggest that he wasn't right about that. Um, now, nobody in politics likes someone saying, I told you so, particularly. But um, on this, as a sort of act of self-preservation, it has surprised me greatly that Sunak hasn't done more of that over the last year. And that was, from that point of view, quite an interesting answer. And also, slightly more robustly than usual, making the argument about global problems. Now, that's a two-edged sword for the Tories, because if you say everything's down to global issues, you then maybe don't get the credit when things start to get better. But um, it's certainly a legitimate argument to say that, you know, every uh, um, the leader of, uh, of every Western nation is, is grappling with um, some of the same kind of issues that he is. You're listening to PMQ's Unpacked here on Times Radio with me, Patrick McGuire, and Tim Shipman. Remember, we're live on YouTube. Uh, 
lots of good comments coming in from you on YouTube. Tom Fanukin says, very poor from Starmer. The problem, problem with mortgages is not interest rates, but the price of properties. Who has been in power whilst property prices have increased by 200%? Uh, and John Michael White says, if you say his own party are a disaster, he's saying his own party can't be trusted in government. This would be a disastrous message. That's the only... It's the only message he uh, he has left, I think, uh, John. And Terry B, the weakest PMQs I've ever had the misfortune to li- listen to. No one in the country is in such a mess. Thank the law for Patrick and Tim. We there can we all get behind that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, Terry. Right, let's head back to the Commons it's Chamber. It's probably just as well we're not running the country, but uh, yeah, not yet, not yet. When they uh, when they give us our peerages, Tim, that's uh, that's when that's when the fight back starts. Uh, right, let's head back to the Commons Chamber for Keir Starmer's next question. Absolutely tone deaf in every calf, pub and supermarket in Britain. Britain having the same conversation. We can't afford that. Put it back on the shelf. It's too expensive. He is completely oblivious, just patting himself on the back. Emily and Jamie have worked hard and saving for years to buy their own home. They were nearly there last year. But he scrapped house-building targets because his backbenchers pushed him around. House-building has fallen off a cliff, shattering the simple dream of home ownership for people like Emily and Jamie. Can the Prime Minister now see that actually his candidate in Tamworth was just loyally following the party line? Mr Speaker, I think these, these prepared lines really aren't working for him anymore. He, he, literally, he literally asked a question. He literally asked me a question about the support that we're providing for mortgage holders. I gave him the answer to that question, and then he read from his script to say that we hadn't answered the question. We're providing significant help for all these people. He's moved on to housing targets, but here's the record. Two and a half million additional homes. Housing starts double what they inher- we inherited from the Labour Party. Housing supply up 10%, on track to deliver a million new homes, and a record number of first-time buyers, Mr Speaker. But again, he brings up his candidates in Tamworth and Mid-Beds. As we open this session, he's now saying he wants to build he wants to build homes well both of those candidates want to say that they want to block new homes in their constituency rishi sunak really had his wheat to this morning he's had it, he? yes i mean had I, his mexican coke on his whatever it was that he i mean he's actually he's he sort of he likes a cinnamon bun and things like that in the morning apparently i don't mm. despite being you know frankly scrawny i know he, uh, He's he's eating less healthily than you and I are for <laughs> Some at, at breakfast time. Um, I mean, the, the, I think this is. I mean, I, I slightly disagree with um, uh, uh, the previous comment you read out. I think this is absolutely fascinating in, in at sort of micro level. Um, mm. This is obviously not a big important PMQs, but you know, you're it's still revealing of what it's revealing a lot on both sides. I'd say. I mean, you know, and Starmer. You know, is continuing to press this line and still dredging up um, the candidate in Tamworth. Uh, I just don't think that that riff is working particularly. Where I think he does have a point, and where you know Sunak has to be careful. The more confidence Sunak's got in this state uh, sort of session, the more kind of glib he sounded. The more kind of here's a bunch of stuff, and oh, why aren't you listening to me? And if only you listened to me better, then you'd all agree with me. Which is kind of the approach he's taken over the last year, which hasn't gone down classic terribly Rishi, well. Isn't it? When he's yeah. sort of you know he's done a couple of radio phone-ins and the one that always sticks in my mind and the one Tory MPs bring up is when he was questioned by someone who said I've lost X amount of money and the, the reply was as you say his dander was up he was feeling confident and he said something like well I think you'll find the average person has you know it's as you say yeah. as you said earlier slightly too across the detail too confident a bit glib yeah and when Starmer says he's tone deaf I think you know I think that is an argument that does strike uh, home um, with voters, um, you know, and a better politician, a Bill Clinton or a Tony Blair would sort of say, would try and do a little bit of empathy. I, I really do understand why people, that people are suffering here. Um, and that is why we've done X, Y and Z. And that is why what we need to do next is this. And that's where you get the sort of future that we're promising. Um, and Sunak's a bit too good at these are all the things we've done without really connecting them to people's lives or sounding like he cares or setting out a path for the future, which is kind of what he really needs to do at the moment. So while that was sort of, I think, you know, to me, Sunak is clearly sort of edging this at the moment. 
there was there were the sort of slight signs of overconfidence in that um, question and answer that that point to some of the problems that he's got. But the other, pro- you know, but you know, the response on housing does show that um, you know this is a this is a problem for Labour as well. You know, I and mean, he's talking about you know. Uh, Sunak scrapping house building targets and his backbenchers pushed him around. Well, the fr- Labour front bench was about to support uh, the measure to build 100,000 new homes and scrap this um, uh, uh, environmental measure. Um, uh, Neutral neutrality. Thank you. Um, I knew you would, uh, would be able to recall it um, uh, quicker than I could. But, you know, he then told his peers in the House of Lords to oppose it. Mm. So that, you know, both sides have been kind of pushed around by the special interest groups on both sides. And it's kind of, it's a bit of a score draw now, this subject. And Labour have had a pretty much, interestingly, a very clear run on their housing policy so far. They haven't really had to put up with the onslaught that they will inevitably get during a general election. So that Rishi Sunak is going quite so hard on this suggests that the Tories do see great opportunity here. I think that's right. Right, let's get Keir Starmer's final question. Let's see if he can pull these slightly disparate threads together and salvage uh, salvage his performance in the eyes of our YouTube watchers. Tell us more about Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, across our country, the British people are rolling up their sleeves and getting on with it, doing their best in the face of a punishing cost-of-living crisis and a government that has abandoned them, abandoned renters at risk of being kicked out, abandoned mortgage payers struggling to make ends meet, abandoned those who dream of owning their own house. The truth is, his candidate in Tamworth summed up perfectly just how his and his Tories are treating the British public. So will he just call a general election and give the British the chance to respond, as they did in Selby, Midbeds and Tamworth, they've heard the government telling them to F off and they want the chance to return the compliment. Mr Mr. Speaker. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, as we saw with his recent decisions on actually building new houses, politicians like him always take the easy way out, Mr Speaker. We're getting on making the right long-term decisions to change this country for the better on net zero, on HS2, on a smoke-free generation, on education and energy security. Contrast that to his leadership. Too cautious to say anything and hope that nobody notices, Mr Speaker. Let me tell him, come that general election, the British people will. Striking to hear Keir Starmer ask for a general election tomorrow. I mean, my understanding is Labour aren't quite as ready to fight an election right now as they might make out. But it's uh, a sign of his confidence that he's now prepared to throw his radar around and say that. But it's easy to, it's an easy call to make if you think the Prime Minister is not going to call an election. Yeah, I mean, the people at the top of Labour I was speaking to about a month ago seemed to seemed to think that Sunak was going to be canny and go for it in May. Yeah. Um, I think they now think that he's sort of going to cling on for as long as possible. And while they think that on balance, you know, uh, Sunak won't have been able to turn things around, the longer it goes, the more there is that slight sort of lingering fear at the back of their minds that something just happens mm. that, that makes life different. And, you know, that's to a degree how they see this uh, events in the Middle East as, you know, a bit of a curveball that's come come out of the blue and uh, presented um, um, them with some difficulties. Um but, uh, yeah, I mean, look, we normally commend Starmer uh, when he links his questions together with a theme um, and, um, you know, uh, brings them to a sort of ties them up with a bow at the end. I think we probably agree that um, the F off theme has not really triumphed today. Um, and, you know, um, I was struck also by Sunak saying, you know, he wouldn't take the easy way out. Well, the easy way out for Sunak would be to call an election, as a member of his uh, front bench uh, uh, said to me over the weekend, that would be suicide by electorate, um, uh, should he wish to take it at this point. So obviously he's not going to. But again, you know, um, we saw a big picture argument again at the end there from Sunak on, you know, uh, painting Starm as a guy who's just trying to sort of reverse his way into Downing Street, uh, doesn't want to say too much. Saying exactly what people want to hear, small target, etc. 
you know, session. and any leader of the opposition who's worth their salt and this close to an election win um, is going to be a bit cautious and is going to, um, uh, you know, uh, be, be worried about making mistakes. Um, but, you know, in the, in the rich um, uh, heat of an election, I think, you know, we will learn quite a lot about these guys. And I think, you know, we get that a little bit of insight this Wednesday. I mean, I said last week that I thought that was Stalmer's finest performance at PMQs that I'd ever seen. I would rank today's um, uh, back with some of those ones that he did right at the start of his leadership, which I just didn't think it was particularly effective. And, and Sunak will go away feeling like he's uh, done more than survive and, you know, um, buys himself a little bit of uh, space with his with his own team as well. Well, the comments on Times Radio's YouTube channel, I say broadly agree with us that this has been quite underwhelming. Um Particularly the uh, the viewer who said, watching the neighbour's cat cleaning itself out the window, infinitely more entertaining than these questions today. have to say, we were talking earlier about Rishi Sunak's tone. A lot of complaints uh, to that effect. Uh, Arizona Bay 15, Mr Speaker, if there's a cost of living crisis, how can I still afford chocolate hobnobs? Is how one person uh, understand, uh, uh, states Rishi Sunak's message. Also says, you know, we're all doing brilliantly. You should all be, all be more grateful is the worst possible line. Uh, from Rishi Sunak, says John. So um, the uh, our audience are a little bit divided on these questions, although they did run a poll on YouTube, Tim. Who would make the better Prime Minister? Patrick or Tim? I have to say, it's a Maguire landslide, 53%. It's not a landslide, but it's a decisive victory, 53% to 46%. That sounds very like a, a referendum result to me. Let's take a look at some of the other exchanges at PMQs. Laura Spirit, Times Red Box editor, is here with the best of the rest. How are you, Laura? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Fantastic. Sounds the... like you've been having a serious time. Uh, serious? Well, you know, a couple, couple of serious guys, a couple of thought leaders. <laughs> Joined by joined by another thought leader in Lara Spirit. So uh, there we go. He's nicer to you than Chorley as well, isn't he? <laughs> it's a different. It's a, it's a slightly more emollient style in uh, in uh, in in the holidays. When's your email coming out? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll ask that at the end when we do a bit of what you call cross promotion. But anyway, Lara, best of the rest. Who is the who is the bestest of the restest at PMQs? So um, in for Stephen Flynn today from the SNP is uh, Mari Black. Unsurprisingly, uh, she asks about uh, the government's position on Israel. Of course, we've heard a lot from SNP politicians in recent days about their calls for a ceasefire. I think it's worth playing both of her answers in full just because, as you predicted, it didn't come up. Uh, in the main exchange between Keir Starmer and Rishi Sunak. And this forms uh, the body of the of what we heard basically from Rishi Sunak on this today, uh, including, I think, uh, quite an interesting call on a specific pause distinct from a ceasefire uh, that, he, that the Prime Minister says was discussed uh, with the UN. So take a listen to these. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Yesterday, the UN warned that hospitals in Gaza had just 48 hours of fuel left to keep their electricity going. That was 28 hours ago. The electricity runs out tonight. Now, we have a human responsibility to all the people in Gaza, but we have a particular responsibility for UK citizens, some of whom are in those hospitals with no food, no water, no medicine and no way out. So I want to ask the Prime Minister, how much worse does the situation have to get before he will join us in calls for a humanitarian ceasefire? Yeah. 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 Uh, Mr. Mr Speaker, the, from the start we have said that the first and most important principle is that Israel has the right to defend itself under international law. Our support for that position is absolute and unchanged. Uh, but from the start we have also said that we do want British nationals to be able to leave Gaza and that we want hostages for, to be released and for humanitarian aid to get in. And we recognise for, for all of that to happen, there has to be a safer environment, which of course necessitates specific pauses as distinct from a ceasefire. And we discussed this with partners yesterday evening at the United Nations. And we have also been consistently clear that everything must be done to protect civilians in line with international law and continue getting more aid flowing into Gaza. Murray Black. Mr Speaker, the, the growing calls for a ceasefire is also about calming the situation in the broader region, especially the West Bank. UNICEF has reported over 2,000 fatalities and over 5,000 injured children since the conflict began due to unrelenting attacks. Yep. If we ignore this, we risk pouring petrol on a fire 
in a place that only requires a spark to ignite. Yeah, yeah. Can the Prime Minister understand that joining calls for a ceasefire is now the best and maybe the only way to stop this conflict escalating beyond all control? Mr Speaker, we do worth have to remember that Israel has suffered a shockingly brutal terrorist attack. Hamas is responsible for this conflict and has the right to protect itself in line with international law. As the UN Charter makes clear, we will continue to urge the Israelis to follow international law, whilst we also have to remember that Hamas cruelly embeds itself in civilian populations. But we are doing everything we can to get aid into the region. I'm pleased to say an RAF flight left the UK this morning for Egypt, carrying 21 tonnes of aid for Gaza. The relief supplies include over 75,000 medical kits, solar lights, water filters for families and warehousing equipment. Our team are on the ground ready to receive. We will continue to do everything we can to increase the flow of aid, including fuel, into Gaza. Tim, a question that is almost trickier for the Labour Party than it is the government. Rishi Sunak has a line. He is very fluent in stating it. But you're seeing there almost a retrofield to politics. You know, a Labour leader struggling to unite his party, the SNP out flanking them to their left. You know, quite tricky. Yeah, it's all very 2017, isn't it, really? <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, again, Sunak sounding pretty fluent and reasonably sort of... He knows, knows where he's coming from on this. Um, but you know, this mood is going to rise and continue. You know, the kind of questions that he's getting are the kind of questions that he was inevitably going to get two or three weeks into this. Um, and, you know, most people in the government I speak to don't think this situation is going to be resolved for uh, several months at the, at the earliest. Um, and so that sense that um, things are not great over there and that Israel's not sort of responding in the way that people find palatable, um, you know, at the moment, the Prime Minister is on reasonably solid ground, I think, in terms of the polls, um, that talking about brutally shocking terrorist attacks is fine. Um, there will come a moment when this moves from the House of Commons and the odd protest in the streets to being something that the public is sort of weary of and mm. wants to go away and get off their screens. And, um, you know, that line may not work so well. Uh, you know, the sort of sympathy for the underdog, which is pretty prevalent in Britain, will begin to come through, and it will come through on the spears of, you know, people like the SNP and the Labour left who always want to push that agenda. Um, so at the moment, it's not really a problem for Sunak. And as you say, I mean, there's a very good reason, as we spoke about at the top of the show, that why Starmer didn't feel able to bring this up today. Um, but, um, yeah... It's because um, the meeting he's about to have with Labour MPs and peers on this very issue. Laura, who's next? Um, we are going to Lillian Greenwood, the Labour MP. She asked a question about the COVID inquiry, which uh, is, of course, ongoing. Uh, we haven't spoken about it, I think, during PMQs on no. this show for quite some time. Uh, but it regards Rishi Sunak's uh, personal views on uh, mobile phones and the uh, disclosure of their messages. Mr Speaker, it's important that the COVID inquiry has all the relevant documents. Yeah, yeah. That's what the public, including thousands of bereaved families, expect and deserve. But despite being a self-described tech bro, the Prime Minister has been unable to locate and provide his WhatsApp messages to the inquiry. Does he agree that devices should be handed over to experts to retrieve this information? Mr Speaker, both the government and I have fully cooperated to provide tens of thousands of documents to the COVID inquiry and I look forward to giving evidence later this year. Laura, shades of Rebecca Vardy about the Prime Minister's response to why exactly he can't give his phone to the COVID inquiry, but also a reminder there from Lillian Greenwood, the Labour MP, that this inquiry, as it rumbles on, as people's texts are read out under oath and put on the record, could well haunt the government for a very long time. But also, when key ministers are giving testimony, it's going to eat up a huge amount of their time as well. Yeah, I mean, it won't be in the next few weeks eating up the time of uh, Simon Case. Of course, the Cabinet Secretary who uh, is on medical leave was due to be giving uh, evidence uh, over the next few 
weeks. But you're right. And I think the wider question uh, that we have spoken about before, but that I think will come up repeatedly still is the extent to which personal WhatsApp communications, uh, when they are exchanged between uh, key government figures, count as uh, business that should be revealed to inquiries. Of course, we've seen uh, a long-running dispute about that. Uh, And I think Rishi Sunak's remarks today, quite an interesting development in that sense. And as you say, the COVID inquiry will go on for much, much longer. Well, thank you very much, Laura Spirit, Times Red Box Editor. Remember, if you are a Times subscriber, and if you're not, you should be, no better reason to get online and get yourself a digital subscription now, because not only can you get Lara's Redbox morning briefing on everything that's happening at Westminster in your inbox every day, you can also get her special PMQ's unpacked email. What time's that, Lara? <laughs> Thank you so much for asking, Tim. I'm really grateful for the question. Um, it is at 3pm today. Hooray! I look forward to seeing you all then. Yeah. So, you know, you can have your lunch and then revisit this very memorable PMQ's. Thank you very much as well to Tim Shipman, Chief Political Commentator of the Sunday Times. And the Jeremy Corbyn of this uh, particular 2019 uh, leadership contest. Oh, I thought you were making a remark about your uh, your jacket and shirt combo. Well, I suppose, obviously, you know, look at me. Is that hound's more, tooth? It's a bit more Corbyn than Johnson, isn't it? That was PMQ's on Pat with Tim Shipman and Lara Spirit. They'll be back next Wednesday, of course. And I'll be back tomorrow. But in the meantime, make sure you like, share, subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcast from. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.